Good morning. Thank you for being with us. You know that we started a new series called Amen to look at the different parts of the Lord's Prayer. Each week, taking the next section and asking ourselves, really, not how is this just words that we can pray, but how does this prayer transform our lives and the way we live? And so last week, we started with that first phrase, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're looking at that next phrase, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, young, old, uh, you can probably relate to this moment. Have you ever tried to fix something and you don't really help? A little bit of nervous laughter, which means you're saying yes. Have you ever tried to help and really, in your helping, you really just made it worse? I remember a time growing up, I don't know exactly how old I was, eight, nine, ten. I was in my dad's office. And his desk was so messy, just so cluttered, papers everywhere, folders everywhere, things all over the place. And he had to go to a meeting, and so I'm sitting in his office, and I'm thinking, this is a mess. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a great son. And while he's in this meeting, I'm going to clean his whole desk for him. And so I spent 20, 30 minutes organizing and putting things away and, and, and making piles and putting things in the drawers and filing things. And he gets back from his meeting, and he's just looking at his desk, and he's speechless, and I'm like, I did it. I did it. The problem was he knew where nothing was now. In the clutter, he knew exactly where everything was. But now that I've put things in drawers and and put things in piles and hidden things, he has no idea what's where. And so it took him weeks to finally figure everything out. And he said, you know what? Thanks for doing that. Please don't ever do that again. (laughs) Got it. Or how about this one? I had friends in Illinois, uh, a couple who was a little bit older than me. uh, And they had been wanting to paint their downstairs for a while. And the wife was going to be gone for a weekend, and so the husband thought he was going to do something nice, and he was going to paint the downstairs. The problem was they hadn't talked about colors or picking anything out yet. And so while she's gone, he goes and he picks out the color and paints their entire downstairs. It was okay. In her Facebook post when she got home, I think she called, uh, called the paint color plain with fire gray. It worked out. I think this is what happens anytime we try to do something with a little plumbing project, right? Anything little that you're trying to fix, just trying to help a little bit. Uh, My father-in-law, a couple years ago, was at our house, and uh, our toilet, the tank, was leaking from the tank, and so we were going to try to fix that. Fast forward five hours, we're on our seventh trip to Home Depot buying a brand new toilet, because that's just how plumbing things work. If you're here today, you're watching online, and you're in the midst of a a house project, we have altars uh, that are available for prayer. We can put you in touch with good counselors. There is this, this tendency when we try to help time, at times, when we try to fix things, what ends up happening is we really just make things worse. And sometimes it's funny things like organizing a desk or painting. Sometimes the things that we try to help with are a little more serious and end up causing more confusion or more hurt or more pain. When we have good intentions, when we try to fix things and it ends up not helping. Why do I say that? What does that have to do with your kingdom come, your will be done? Well, I want to look at a few stories briefly this morning. Some stories in the Gospels of miracles that Jesus performs. But if I'm honest, as I've read these in many years, one of the things I ask myself and I wrestle with is, did Jesus really fix anything here? 
Like, what's the point of this miracle? What what is Jesus really trying to do? Because when I'm looking at it, I can see how maybe it didn't help in the way that it was intended to help. But I think when we step back and we understand these stories, uh, we can get a bigger grasp on what Jesus is doing, and it can help us as we wrestle with this part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. So there's two stories I want to look at just briefly. The first one is in Matthew 14. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. It's not going to be on the screens because I'm going to talk about it really quickly. But it's a familiar story, especially if you grew up in church. If you grew up in Sunday school, this is one of the first stories you learned. And chances are, if you grew up in Sunday school, you colored a sheet of paper with this story on it. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Even if you're not a Christian, this is, this is a story that's familiar enough where it gets referenced in movies and shows. People will make a joke uh, on a TV show of, well, we really need a, a loaves and fishes miracle here. But Jesus has this huge crowd that has gathered to listen to him. And the disciples are looking around thinking, it's getting late and these people are going to get hungry. And so they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we should send them home. We need to send them home so they have time to go find dinner. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, well, no, you feed them. And they're like, with what? And so they go around and they find a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And they say, Jesus, this is all we could find. And Jesus does a very Jesus thing, and he takes the little, and he uses it to be able to feed everybody to the point where there's leftovers. Maybe that's the miracle, is that there's leftovers. But here's the thing that's always caused me some confusion. Okay, so everybody ate, and they were full. But chances are this crowd that gathered, a lot of folks living in poverty, struggling. What happens the next day? Like they wake up the next morning and they're going to be hungry again. What's, what's the miracle of feeding them just so that they can be hungry again? Jesus, what are you, what are you trying to show us? What are you demonstrating in this? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe the miracle should have been he fed them and then they were never hungry again. That, that seems like a good miracle to me. It leaves me a little perplexed. But if you think feeding people just so that they're hungry again is odd. This next one is really going really to get you. Because in John 11, there's a story of one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus. And Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dying and ultimately dies. And what we read in John 11 is that Jesus, after a few days, goes and visits the tomb. And he goes to the tomb where Lazarus' body has been laying for three days, and he calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus gets up, his dead body gets up and walks out of the tomb. If you were here last week, you know that I talked about the structure of John. It's kind of John will tell a story about something Jesus says or something Jesus does and then record how people respond to it. This is the moment in John, this is the story, this is the miracle that set the religious leaders over the edge. It's at this moment that they figure out, okay, and they begin to plan, how are we going to kill this Jesus? But I imagine Lazarus comes out of the tomb. I, I like to think of Lazarus as kind of like a humorous guy. He has a sense of humor. I don't know. I'm, I'm writing that into the story. He might not be. But I imagine he comes out and there's got to be some conflicted emotions. I mean, he's got to be happy, but at the same time, maybe he's thinking in the back of his head, wait a minute, I've got to do that again? What's the point of being raised just so that you have to die again? Jesus, what are you trying to show us? What are you doing here? What is the miracle in these stories? 
But what I want to do is I want to step back and, and look at a conversation that Jesus has with one of Lazarus' sisters before Jesus raised him from the dead. And I think this is going to help us as we try to wrestle with what does all of this have to do with God's kingdom coming? And so in John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, if not, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to read this conversation that's happening between Jesus and Martha. Starting at verse 17, it says this. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. We read that story, we hear that story, and we think, oh yeah, we know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Even if this is a new story, but you're familiar with the Gospels all, you almost predict what's going to happen here. And so maybe we miss how peculiar this conversation is. When Jesus is comforting Martha, he says this, your brother will rise again. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone told me that when I was, I was mourning the loss of someone, I don't know if my response would be, well, of course. I would think, wait, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. People who are dead stay dead. But Martha has been influenced and is formed in this Jewish tradition, which believed and understood that at the end, There will be this resurrection, and those who have passed will be raised again. And so what Martha is responding to is this Jewish understanding of how the world will work. Have you ever ever watched a movie? And five minutes into the movie, you know how it's going to go. You know who the bad people are, and who the good people are, and who seems good, but they're really bad. And you can predict how everything's going to go. Or maybe you're watching, this is the worst, when you're watching a movie with someone and they think that they know. And so the entire movie, they're just guessing every five minutes, well, this is going to happen, or that person's bad, or, or this is going to happen. And you're like, just let me watch the movie. But in these stories, in these movies, we know that there's, there's an order. There's like a beginning and a middle and an end. There's a sequence of how things work. It starts here, then this happens, and then finally, this happens. It's how the story goes. And that's what Martha is drawing on here. She says, yeah, I know how the story goes. I know the beginning and the middle. And at the end, my brother will rise again in the resurrection. Yeah, I get that, Jesus. And that makes Jesus' response all the more profound. Because Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Be through me, because of me, what you thought was going to happen at the end is actually going to happen in the middle. The story is going to be flipped upside down. What you've been waiting for, what, what, what everyone's waiting for at the end is actually breaking through now. I don't know if we understand this. What we see is that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, what people are waiting for someday becomes available now. 
available now. See, when we think of God's kingdom, I think there's a couple things that we can contribute or attribute to God's kingdom that sometimes we miss the mark. I think they're well-intentioned and they're not all wrong, but I think they're wrong enough where we kind of miss. One of those things is we we think of God's kingdom as what is going to happen to us after we die. It's some future distant hope. We think about it as someday. And so what we really think of this life is we're just kind of waiting around for that day to come, for that thing to happen. Right? It's about where we go or what happens to us after we die. My concern with that, when we think of God's kingdom primarily through that lens, is that our lives can sometimes turn into this thing where we're just waiting for what's next. We're just waiting for what's going to happen to us after we die. The other mistake I think we can make with God's kingdom is we think of God's kingdom primarily in a spiritual sense. That God's kingdom is mostly about what happens to our souls. And I don't want to lose you here. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want you to uh, stop listening at this point, so, so give me a second. But oftentimes we think of, of God's kingdom as what happens to our souls, and so the goal is just to, to keep our soul good enough and maybe to bring a couple other souls along the way. And, and, and there is a part of, of this Christian walk, there is a part of this, that faithful worship will lead to witness and it will invite others and enfold others into this kind of life. But my concern is when we think of God's kingdom primarily in a spiritual sense, we miss a main story that's happening all throughout Scripture that God is desiring to redeem and restore all of creation. And when we, we think that, when we see God's kingdom in that spiritual sense, we miss. We miss that God's kingdom is, is not simply concerned with what happens to us when we die, but it's also concerned with what's happening to us now in this physical world. See, this is why in Jesus' ministry, he performs miracles where he feeds people, and he restores sight, and he heals disease, and he raises people from the dead, because God is concerned with what is happening to us here and now. The good news of all of this is that God's kingdom, what we see in Jesus, is that God's kingdom has come. And because God's kingdom has come, this life matters. Because God's kingdom has come, life matters. Now, I can hear, because this is one of my, my frustrations or something that I wrestle with as well. We can hear this, this truth that God's kingdom has come, but then we can look around us. And we can think, wait, God's kingdom has come? Then why do I see all of this brokenness? Why do I see all of this sickness? Why do I see all of this violence and all of this sin and all of this evil and all of the If God's kingdom has come, why, do, why is all of this here? Where is God's kingdom in that? If God's kingdom has come, why is there seem like there's death all around us? And you're right. We do see that all around us. See, we find ourselves in this tension. This tension of God's kingdom has already come through Jesus. It's the already, and yet we still are waiting. We're waiting for the fullness and the fulfillment of God's kingdom to be made known. I had a professor who talked about we are living in the already and the not yet. This in-between, this tension of it's already come and yet we're still waiting. And so I need to clarify something because earlier, 
And I was talking about that, that notion that we think of God's kingdom primarily as what happens to us when we die, and so, so we're kind of just waiting. That is true. We are waiting. We do wait. But we don't wait in vain. We wait, but we wait with purpose. We wait, but we wait with work to do. We wait, but we wait on mission. We wait, but we wait with hope. We wait with hope. See, it's normally this part of the service that when I'm making notes, I, I, I title this part the application. The application. What, what are we going to apply to our lives? The problem I, I'm having with that is when I think of application, I think of these options that we have and we kind of pick and choose. Like when I apply sunscreen, if I apply sunscreen, I'm gonna, you know, where am I going to put it? Am I going to put it just on my nose? Am I going to do my shoulders? Am I going to do you know, everything that needs sunscreen? Or if you've ever edited a picture, whether on your phone or a computer and you have the software, you have this picture and you get to decide what you want to apply to this picture to draw out certain things. Right? Like, like I want to apply a little bit of this to bring this brightness and I want to apply a little bit of this to hide the shadows. And I'm just going to apply that the idea of application is kind of like we just pick and choose. Pick and choose what works and what we want and what we desire. So as I'm wrestling with this, I'm thinking maybe, maybe the idea is not application. Maybe it's implication. Not what do I want to apply to my life, but what does this truth imply about everything? See, when we talk about kingdoms, kingdoms is a big word. Kingdoms isn't just about, if you live in a kingdom, it's not just, okay, I want, to, I want this part of the kingdom, and I want this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. No, a kingdom is all-encompassing. To live as citizens of a kingdom means that you're all in. That the kingdom orients how you think about time, and your priorities, and your allegiance, and your, your money, and it's everything. Being a part of a kingdom means that we live lives that are completely oriented and postured around a king. So if this is true, if God's kingdom has come, and because God's kingdom has come, it changes what we think and how we think about this life, it, it means that this life matters. And we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that's true, what does that imply for our lives? What is the implication for us? Growing up, one of my favorite things to do or places to go, and it really was up until they stopped doing this kind of for good reason during COVID, I love to go to those restaurants where you could sample things. Before you ordered, you got to try something. Panda Express was one of my favorites. Because Panda Express, uh, one of God's uh, greatest gifts to earth, is honey walnut shrimp from Panda Express. But it's a premium, it's a premium item, which means you're going to pay a premium price. And I don't always feel like paying a premium price. But what I can do is I can walk in there and I can act like I'm brand new. This, this seems like I'm cheating the system. I'm not. They, they, this, they have it set up to do this. But I walk in there like I'm brand new, like I'm trying to figure out what I want. 
And I say, well, how's that walnut shrimp? Let me, let me try that. And they take a toothpick and they poke one and you get to eat it and you kind of do one of these things. I, I think I'll have the orange chicken, right? Like you were actually considering. But you get a little taste of the honey walnut shrimp. And growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to go to Baskin Robbins. I don't even know if they're around. You can go there and get ice cream anymore. But in Baskin Robbins, they had these little tiny pink spoons. And you could say, I'd like to try that one. And I'd like to try that one. I'd like a taste of that. And they would take a pink spoon and scoop a little bit and give it to you. My goal was always to have like a whole scoop of ice cream before I actually ordered just from all of the things I was trying. And I'm realizing right now that this is the second week I've talked about ice cream in a sermon. So I, I don't know what that means. But those little pink spoons didn't give you a lot. Just a little taste. Just a little taste of maybe what you were going to order, what you were going to have, what you were going to enjoy. Those little pink spoons just kind of gave you a a, a foretaste of what was to come. See, I think when we think about God's kingdom, when we think about all of this with this idea of a foretaste, Maybe we can more rightly understand these miracles that Jesus does. These miracles of of feeding people just so they're going to be hungry again or raising someone just to die again. Or maybe, maybe what Jesus is demonstrating through these miracles is that God's kingdom has come through me. And not only has God's kingdom come through Jesus, but in these miracles, we are getting a foretaste of what this coming kingdom will be like when it is fully realized. Through Jesus' miracles, we get this foretaste of what life will be like, that there will be a day, there is a kingdom, when there is no more hunger, when there is no more sickness, when there is no more pain, when there is no more suffering, when there are no more tears, when there is no more death, that kingdom is coming. And in Jesus, through his miracles, we have a demonstration of what that kingdom will be like. This is good news for us. But here's the part that always astounds me and still kind of a mystery. See, when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are praying, what we are recognizing is that we don't want to just see this kingdom coming all around us, but that we're inviting this kingdom to come in and through us. That in some divine mystery, God allows us to be participants in inviting and ushering this kingdom in, that our lives, our lives get to serve as this foretaste. We get to be like the Baskin-Robbins little pink spoons where our lives get to be the foretaste of this coming kingdom and that everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, all of our lives can be oriented to be this foretaste to the world around us of this kingdom that is already and not yet. That God invites us to be a part of this as well. That our lives, our lives serve to usher in this reality wherever we find ourselves. Friends, hear this good news today. God's kingdom has come. And because God's kingdom has come, this life matters. Matters.